0: Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a Christian podcast service that encourages and equips Christians to engage and reform the culture of cinema. In this episode, Daniel and I will be discussing David Lowry's A Ghost Story. We've been covering an obscene amount of Disney productions lately, what with the Marvel films and two Disney Plus exclusives. We covered Hamilton, we covered Stargirl. So I think it's safe to say we're ready to move away from Disney for a while, or as long as we can, because Disney very clearly has a hold on the film market we'll inevitably get back to them. But we want to head into a more independent and creative atmosphere, and that's where A Ghost Story comes in. After the break, you'll get a chance to hear how Daniel and I initially reacted to the trailer for A Ghost Story back in 2017, you know, seeing an atmospheric, visually stunning film with a man wearing a sheet ghost costume. After that, you'll hear about Daniel's excellent theater experience with a random stranger. Then I dig into how a scene emotionally destroyed me, and how a ghost story uses simple yet prolonged sequences to produce strong emotions. Among those emotions, we discuss how, for a lot of people, laughter seemed to be a predominant reaction to a lot of scenes that take place in a ghost story. And finally, Daniel and I dig into the concept of interpretation, and how certain art pieces are created to provoke emotions or feelings, and less concerned with giving definitive answers. As stated in the Stargirl episode of the podcast, we're changing up how the introduction functions, the film synopsis, content rating, and call to action will now be part of the discussion. That said, we forgot to record a call to action, so here's that real quick. If you like Cinematic Doctrine, keep up with us and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, have a popular Facebook group that's very active and very fun, a Twitter and an Instagram. You can also leave a review for us on iTunes or Podchaser, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out. You can also check out our other offerings, such as Monthly Movie News and Trailer Talk. In the latest Monthly Movie News, I interviewed a local independent theater. You can hear how they're weathering the coronavirus pandemic, and hear some ways you can support local theaters, as well as learn how you can pray for your local theaters. And since some theaters are opening back up, you can check out our Trailer Talk to hear about what's likely to land in a theater near you. And lastly, if you really love us, you can support us monthly on Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you also land some sick perks, like exclusive voting privileges and choosing a movie we discuss in the podcast each month, as well as exclusive access to The Pre Show, a special podcast series on the Patreon where Daniel and I talk movies, Christianity, or life itself in a casual and open format. Anyways, next time we'll remember to toss that into the main episode. These intros are too long. Without further ado, here's our discussion on a ghost story. So, welcome back to the Cinematic Doctrine Podcast. I'm here with Daniel. He is a new guest. We haven't uh, had him on before. Uh, how's it going, Dan? Why don't you uh, tell everybody about yourself?
1: Well, I'm Dan uh geez uh i like movies i've never listened to a podcast before or been on a podcast before and i'm not even sure how i ended up in front of this microphone um could you please tell me where i've been the past couple of weeks i'm so alone and so scared um this actually segues in the movie pretty well <laughs> you could go <laughs> into to that I didn't know we were doing a bit to start the podcast. That really caught me off guard. I was, we had a previous conversation. And we wanted to like, Dan, I want you to always open the podcast up because I do the intro. And I like the new intro, intro by the way, Melvin. <laughs> you're like, I do the intro, so it makes more sense if you start out. So I was literally gearing up to say something. <laughs> and you're like, hi, Dan, <laughs> welcome to the show.
0: It's been so long. It has. <laughs> and so I just wanted to reintroduce the world to you and say he is not stuck at a hospital anymore. That that life is long oh, gone. Yeah.
1: A lot has changed.
0: And uh it's a whole new world. Yeah. When are we gonna cover Aladdin? Which one? The bad one.
1: I mean I guess we could <laughs> let's put up on Patreon like a poll. We could have Aladdin animated, Aladdin live action. One of the many, many other Aladdin like adaptations. List
0: them both as just Aladdin and don't even give the year. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we finally got around to watching a ghost story, which is a movie that although you probably didn't know that we wanted to talk about was a movie that the two of us wanted to talk about. But before we can start talking about it, we figure we should fill you guys in uh, as this is sort of we're trying to do a new introduction where we don't take five minutes to catch you guys up or at the very least introduce you to some wonderful people like Daniel, which is somebody you guys have never met before. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, Dan, why don't you uh, fill us in on what a ghost story is about before we head into things.
1: So yeah, ghost story is a movie from 2017 uh, written and directed by David Lowry. The IMDb description is in the singular, singular exploration of legacy love lost in the enormity of existence. A recently deceased white sheeted ghost returns to a suburban home try to reconnect with his bereft wife. And I don't, do you Melvin, do you remember when trailers, for this movie started dropping at all?
0: I vaguely remember seeing some trailers for this. So I started watching a lot of movies around 2016. So I guess that was, yeah, that would be around the time that I probably went to the theaters, saw like something that was a bit more artistic and had this trailer run in the beginning of it. And I feel like I remember thinking it would be dumb. And I feel like that was something (laughs) consistent with most people. But I thought, yeah, it looks visually striking. Now, I was still a Babber cinephile. So I've grown. I've gotten better. Something like this fascinates me now. But yeah. Why do you ask?
1: Oh, I just remember because I'm not sure what I was seeing around the time. But I I was going to a good number of, I guess, what you would call prestige films at the time. I would would go to theater and i would see you know things and and there'd be like maybe three or other four other people in the entire theater and i live in a kind of like a metropolitan kind of area so in theory you'd have a lot of like college students or artsy artsy people but even then like a lot of i was seeing a lot of movies that weren't didn't have a lot of uh audience so to speak but this trailer played in front of front of a lot of movies i was seeing at the time and i was pretty excited for it i wasn't um I wasn't like super hyped about or anything. I wasn't going online and reading fan theories about the movie. Not that there would be such a thing for this, but I was really, really excited to see it. And then I remember actually having to plan a day around going to see it because it just wasn't playing anywhere. So I had to like find a theater, like block off a whole day to see it, make sure the day off from work because I had to drive like two hours from where I live to see it and that kind of thing. So leading up to the movie, I was really excited to see it. Um, but you weren't particularly jazz about watching a guy in a what looked like a bedsheet walk around a house while indie music played or anything like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't have i I wasn't nearly as comfortable with creativity at the time or trustworthy in creativity. I think wasn't didn't um, Swiss Army Man come around the same year? And like, I guess I was interested in that because I thought this is so absurd. And then for this movie, I just thought this doesn't look like it'll work. But yeah, I I have my thoughts. And they're good thoughts. They're actually a lot better than my initial babber twenty seventeen year old Melvin. Twenty seventeen year old twenty seventeen uh, Melvin. <laughs> but uh we should probably at least touch base on, you know, the the rating for this movie. It's rated R. Kind of strangely enough, is because it? like when you watch it, yeah, it's it's rated R. When you watch it though, huh. it doesn't feel like an R-rated movie. In fact, if I go to the certificates guide on IMDb, there's a lot of places where it's listed as PG, rated 12 year old and up, PG 13, and here in the United States, it's rated R for uh, in Australia, it's rated M as well. But for the most part, it's kind of clean. Um, the only content you're running into is people hug and kiss, and it looks really romantic. There's a topless man. In a scene, there's a woman who's wearing a bed sheet to cover herself in the middle of the night, but it's not provocative. And then there's like death, there's a child involved and there's stuff like that. So I can see that being challenging. In fact, that's, I think the reason it probably got a rated R here in the States. Yeah. And also the MPAA is like really uncomfortable with like tone. So if like something tonally is really, really difficult for the MPAA they'll give it an R I think Constantine didn't wasn't that shared during the um Comic-Con or Comic-Con online or whatever this year that Constantine got a rated R because the the MPAA within five minutes was like this movie feels hopeless and so they so they gave it a rated R (laughs) so it's like oh man um but there is a use of an F, F um there is one use of the F word and there's a couple other language but it's like i think two or three because like i just don't remember because there's no lines in this movie <laughs> so uh and white lines there are they're used very very well so they wouldn't waste their time with you know aggressive language but yeah that that's my experience with the with the right. content
1: yeah and there's a really spooky ghost running around oh my goodness just, yeah the sheet ah uh, blood so blood scary. curdling <laughs> kind of like how the conjuring got an art just because it's too scary i don't know if you remember when that happened
0: is that true yes i thought that was pg-13
1: it's the first conjuring movies rated r just because i think it's called if you look at the actual rating it says something like pervasive fear or something something similar in language to that because it's just too frightening
0: that's a roller coaster ride movie that's not frightening
1: and they specifically shot the movie to be pg-13
0: it it feels like it's shot to be pg-13 if they were going for r they would have pushed that but but it doesn't need to be R. So like no. why did it?
1: There's no blood. There's no sexual content. There's really no language that I can remember. Well, actually, it's the other spooky. thing with
0: the other thing with the MPAA is uh, demons. If demons are in a movie, they also that was the other Constantine thing. The guy said if you want to get an R, just put one demon in there for no reason, <laughs> and they'll just rate it R. <laughs> then why are so... Christian
1: films all like <laughs> like NC seventeen or I don't know? Uh... Anyways, but I mean part part of why I'm asking about like what your thoughts were going into the movies. I feel like this is definitely a movie that horribly suffered from people's perceptions, as well as the expectation of the movie. Absolutely. From, from both sides. Cause I remember seeing the trailer and thinking this was not the movie I expected. And I was excited for the movie. I really thought it'd be this like artsy fartsy interstellar or something like that, where it'd be like this like grand journey with all these interesting monologues and characters and obviously be cool set pieces. I did not expect it to be an almost, well, very purposefully a singular location film with very minimal dialogue and not a lot going on. And we're going to get into this in a bit, but when I saw this at theaters, there's one other person in the theater and they fell asleep and were loudly snoring for an hour of the film. That's sick. And, <laughs> what a champ. Yeah, and it, this was a small... <laughs> It was a small indie theater where like all of the people working there um had goofy colored hair and piercings and all that stuff. But there was also construction outside, so I could also hear construction for the entire film as well. <laughs> Cause they're re-bottling the building that the indie theater was attached to. But despite all of that, I really liked the movie. And the guy who fell asleep liked the movie as well. As I asked him, <laughs> Hey, what did you think of that? And he went, Oh, it's Real interesting, real interesting. I'm gonna. I think I missed some of it. I have to watch that again. <laughs> I was like, "Well, it's a good one, so you should definitely check it out again."
0: That's awesome. <laughs> so I um I ended up sharing when I first watched this. So this is the second time I've watched it this year because I think this was a man. Did was this during the quarantine binge? Did I watch this? I think it was a little before. But one of my, uh, an older fellow from church saw that I posted about it in Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group, which everybody can go check out and join and talk to like-minded Christians and talk about movies. But anyways, I shared in there and he goes, is this movie wholesome? He just asked me that like on the post, he's kind of a goofy guy and I go, yeah, it's pretty wholesome. It's challenging, but it's, there's nothing, there's nothing inappropriate or stereotypical Christian view of Hollywood. There's nothing like that in this movie <laughs> where where they're trying to indoctrinate you, you're, you're good. Yeah. And then I asked him about it and he said, my wife loved it and I fell asleep. So I was like, that seems to be, you know, <laughs> you either really like it or you fall asleep. That's the ratio
1: <laughs> for every one person that sees oh, it. <laughs> but yeah, I really, I really liked it. I I really enjoyed it a lot and it's hard it's actually kind of hard to talk about why i liked it before getting into the actual meat and bones of the discussion of the movie but yeah to, to really summarize i found it to be a very rewarding experience it's a kind of it is kind of a singular experience and it i don't know how much how well it'll hold up on repeated repeat viewings but still feel those movies that i would really like people to check out at least just to just to just to feel get the vibe one time for it but yeah uh, what do you think Nolan?
0: Yeah, this was so, like I said, this is the second time I watched it. And I think in talking about repeated viewings is if you had a good time the first time, for me, I would say you'll have a better time rewatching it. To, To contextualize my first experience, it was, I really enjoyed it. And then there's sort of a shift in the story about one third into it that isn't drastic, but it's enough to really kind of adopt the tone and the message and the experience that you're getting we'll dig into that a bit later because one of the things that daniel and i talked about prior to this is we don't really want to talk about too much specifics because like daniel said it's a journey and part of what makes the movie fun is going on that journey and going to places you don't know that you're going to but that's the first time you watch it can be disorienting. And so it kind of lost me after about a third that first time through, and then like it picked back up, but that kind of tarnished the around experience. Now just finishing it probably like 40 minutes ago, finishing it again. I, I mean, I loved it way more than the other time it hit very differently. The first third is recontextualized by what you watch later on. And I got to tell you, man, I, I was just like falling apart. There's one scene where Rooney Mara is listening to a song and like the first time you watch it, it's a bit weird because like nothing happens because this whole movie, you could really say nothing happens. But then you watch it the second time and I'm like, so much is happening right now. And the fact that nothing is happening on screen is why it's so emotionally powerful and I'm just like, I'm, dude, I'm falling apart. I'm like, <laughs> nobody's even at my house while I'm watching it. And I'm like, I don't want to cry too loud. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so effective and so powerful because it's so simple.
1: What, what What did you find so affecting about it?
0: Yeah, so like, I think we've all had that experience of correlating a song to an experience. And this particular scene in the movie I mean, it, it's exactly that. It is a, how this song is kind of changed through different times and the baggage that's attached to it. And so you kind of are watching the scene where, like, this song should actually be really beautiful and really wonderful and really powerful, but Rini Mara's character is just, like, unhappy and just, just horribly unsatisfied and she wants to really be into the song but she can't and then she sort of just kind of leaves it at that and you you know that her character i think it's just m is the character's name um because there's no there's no name stated in the movie in fact the imdb uh actor listing or or like credits for it all it's like casey affleck's character name is c rooney mara's name is m (laughs) Uh, there's little boy and doctor (laughs) and man in wheelchair and just stuff like that. So it's like that script was probably really fun to write. But, you know, her character is just like wrestling with so much of what's going on and feeling trapped and, and unable to get anywhere with it. And I think that's something people have when they listen to music, especially now when you can stream whatever you want and you can pick whatever song perfectly encapsulates your emotion and then you return to it. And it could have been a decade And you're like right back there. I just think it was just masterful. And so, yeah, hit me, hit me rough, dude. I can't (laughs) wait to rewatch it again and have those feelings come back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, for, for the context of the listener, like this is a song that earlier, supposedly Casey Affleck's character had written or composed or it's a song he knew. Right. And it's one of the things I found most interesting about the movie is the way it portrays the passage of time and the way we experience time like you you're seeing this juxtaposition of she's remembering hearing the song the first time as her husband is singing it to her. And then you're seeing her listening to it again after he is died, which isn't really much of a spoiler because he is the titular ghost that is right, on the poster right. of the movie. But like you see that as his character is haunting this space, he is, he is with her again in the sense that he's there watching her as she's listening to it and she's connecting with him again. In a sense that she's listening to this song that he wrote that she remembers listening hearing for the first time, and she's in a way reliving this moment, but also she's not at all because she's so distant from him, even though she's able to, in a way, reconnect with him again, despite the fact he's passed through this thing that he's made. And it and it ties into many, many of the film's themes, but one of which is this sense of like alienation, where she is so alone in this place and he is alone in this place and they're both
0: they're together alone. They're they're
1: together alone, which is
0: like extreme loneliness. I don't know if some people have experienced that where you're in a room full of people, but you're totally alone. It just amplifies how alone you are. And so it's, it's very isolating.
1: Yeah. But for Casey Affleck's character, it's so much worse because he's having to, to watch her suffer in a way. He, he desperately cannot help the person that he loves and cherishes the most. And he's in a sad irony trapped in this place that he didn't want to leave, which is one of the first things that we sort of established about this film. But I mean, is it, is, is there a particular, I mean, it's, it's difficult to talk about the movie's plot because there really isn't much, you know, I, David Lowry stated that he wrote the entire screenplay in one sitting. Essentially it's 30 pages long. And, Like, as far as plot goes, it is essentially what I wrote, what I said in that IMDb post, which is a guy dies and he goes back to this spot to try and reconnect, but he can't because he's a ghost. And so the lion's share of the film is just watching as he goes back to this place and sort of just watches as it evolves and changes over time. And one of the things that really struck me, as I mentioned, is the way it portrays time passing. And one of the things that you want to talk about is the how slow this movie is because this movie is very slow and it's very slow in a way that's almost purposefully alienating and challenging to an audience. And there's uh one scene in particular that I think encaps- encapsulates this more than anything else.
0: Is it a scene that is four minutes long? Exactly.
1: <laughs> it yeah. is the famous. <laughs> it is probably more famous than the movie itself is at this point. I don't know if people remember as far back as three years ago any anymore for entertainment things unless you need to watch it because it's the third in a series of movies that's six movies long but there's a scene where rooney mara eats a pie for four minutes now the context of the scene is her husband has died So i'm just gonna call kcf like i'm gonna call her rooney mara because like you said they don't essentially <laughs> See, have names. they don't have names <laughs> Yeah. but a friend of hers i think it might be actually it might be the the person who's selling the house that she's living in brings a pie like which is a very texas thing to do this film was shot in texas and somebody who has relatives who have died in texas know the way people in Texas comfort you is just give you copious amounts of food. And so she's eating this pie. And it's a moment of extreme grief because she is, she's lost most of what she has, essentially. She doesn't seem like a very well person. And he's had his diet. So she's just eating this pie and, like, grieving. And most movies, they would just show her eating the pie, maybe cut to the empty pie, maybe they cut to her throwing up because she ate too fast. But this movie just focuses in on this and you're just watching same as casey Affleck's character is and, and that way puts you in his shoes because he's sitting there watching her eat too and uh larry stated that he basically just told her to rudy just like eat the pie however you want this is your scene i'm just gonna <laughs> the camera doesn't move so he's just like just <laughs> yeah, yeah when you're done we'll cut that's it so she of her own volition ate this pie for four or something minutes and throws up immediately after and I kind of love this scene i don't know what's your take on the pie scene
0: before we i think it's great i think it it's it's it is also something i kind of knew about beforehand i think it's probably the thing that uh i think it's the thing that gets people to watch the movie (laughs) like i think just knowing that it exists is something that draws you in because you're like well that sounds interesting and it's not the interesting demeaning it's like the interesting like there's something tugging me here i gotta see that (laughs) it's the void when the void when you stare into the void it stares back at you i i think it's great in fact the first time i watched it this is the scene that really emotionally struck me because you watch it and you're you're constant like the whole movie you're constantly thinking about what's actually going on like it it it's a it's a novel played on screen where if it was a novel, you would know everything that's going on in these characters' heads, but you just don't because that's this medium. And this is a scene that really, I think, puts that to the forefront where if this was a book, we would know all of the thoughts about what she's experiencing. We would know why she's she's going for another bite of that pie, <laughs> uh, sitting on the floor, just keeps, keeps digging into it. Oh, I dropped the fork. Let me use my hands. And you would get all that, but you don't. And so now you're sitting there trying to understand. And then you start thinking about things in your own life where you were so miserable and unhappy that you reached in to get another bottle or you reached in to get another cupcake or you reached in to get to just bake so you can have something to eat and you're just self-medicating, but you keep going and you can't, you're like, you're not getting better. Like you're watching as she's going and she's like, the, the scene is just far enough that. You know, she's really unhappy. You keep hearing her sniffle because the expert uses of of a boom mic to get just how she's reacting and the the clacking of the of the fork into the the pan. But then you start to see a glint from her nose and you're like, oh, my gosh, she's weeping, like just trying to fight off this this emotional experience. And by that point, if you have a heart, you're weeping (laughs) and you're like, oh, my, please, someone just hug her. Like, it's just it's so sad. And so, yeah, I, I think it's great. I know for my wife, the thing that really got her wasn't the pie. But right afterward, she goes to the bedroom and she falls asleep on his side of the bed. And it's like it's just like like this movie it just keeps doing that. It keeps just doing things that are so intimate and personal, but putting them on screen for you to see. And it's like if the pie doesn't get you, the bed'll get you. If the bed doesn't get you, the song will get you. If the song doesn't get you, the and it's just, it's just you're just wearing me down, man. That or you fall you fell asleep like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> you didn't even see you didn't even see Casey App like sit up in the in the moratorium. So you're you're still back there. <laughs> so exercises and patience there you go <laughs>
1: yeah and the thing is like that's that's how long these moments last in real life if you're having a moment of weakness or you're trying to like self-medicate through food or you're just unable to like monitor your own emotions you know if you're having a moment of just like real despair or loss like most a lot of the movie is just casey affleck's character just kind of wandering around those moments they move at this pace like they they feel like they last forever But also, like, I don't think you get a real natural feel of like the enormity of a moment unless you let it linger.
0: Isn't that like the great irony? Because they aren't forever. And yet it only ever feels real when we slow things down to kind of take them apart.
1: Yeah. And and like here, like this earlier scene where Casey and Rooney are just like laying in bed next to each other or in each other's arms. It feels intimate and real because they just they're not doing anything particularly interesting. They're not having a deep conversation particularly. Like they're just talking and they're just there together. And that feels real. Their relationship feels more real because of it. And then Rooney Mara's sense of just doesn't know what to do with herself. That feels more real because it's uncomfortable. We're sitting there watching this woman cry. We're sitting here watching her just like gorge herself and pie. Like, like it feels like a real moment that you're just sort of like observing. And well then like, I feel like the movie's pace is quickening as time goes on, though. Where like it goes from Casey Affleck just watching his wife eat pie to to, like suddenly like things are happening and people are moving, people are going around. Then like he's he's going forward and time, backward in time. Like all these things are happening, and that's kind of how we perceive time. Where when you're younger, time feels like it lasts forever. Like school, the school day is so long, and then summer's here. But then, like, the school you're getting to summer is forever. Then you're waiting for Christmas to come. And that's just how, because you're young, that's how time feels. It feels like it lasts forever. And then as you get older, time suddenly starts to lose less and less meaning. And, you know, Larry stated that, like, he feels like this is more his characters losing the restraints of time and all that kind of thing. Where, like, his character is, like, he's gone beyond death. Now he's going beyond time as well. But this has a viewing experience that really, for me, to helped me, like, lock into what the movie was trying to say about. Well, a lot of things, but specifically about like the way time moves, it, it starts really, really slow and gradual. And then it slowly starts to like, as more things happen and as more experiences come upon, so it gets quicker and quicker. And then suddenly it's kind of it's just kind of over, you know? So,
0: yeah, there was I had a really good phone call with a buddy of mine and uh, he had went home to visit his family and he's an older guy. And I asked him, like, have you been home for a while? And he's like, no, nah, not really. And so I said, like, it does it feel like when you go there and you see that things have changed or a building's a different size or has an addition or maybe it's gone, like what does that feel like? And he says, like when I see that a building is gone that I spent time in, it feels like those memories didn't exist or that maybe I, f- I fabricated them. Like there was because there's no evidence of it. There was the, I can't look and point and say, that's the tree that I, you know, I fell off and busted my ankle and my friends made fun of me, but then we had a good time getting to the hospital and blah, 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 because if it's gone, it's like, I mean, I can't point to that and say, yeah, that, that's a place that mattered to me. That's a place that defined a period of my life. Once it's gone, it's, it's yeah, it's so transient. And I think for me, the emphasis and focus of time in, the, in a ghost story is sort of to, for, for my interpretation of this film, because I think this film leaves itself open to a lot of interpretations, I right. think the, the running for me, like I stepped away with like that death affects everything, that death doesn't just like ruin a family or a romance or a relationship, but death kind of emphasizes the fact that time runs out and things move on without you we have a scene in the middle that is often the most criticized scene in the film (laughs) where a guy kind of in the midst of a party uses like pseudo philosophy to, and I guess technically you could just say philosophy, but whatever, (laughs) everything surrounding the scene as he's delivering the monologue makes it fit the pseudo philosophy category. But anyways, he's sharing that like, you know, entropy exists and even if things persevere in your legacy, going to be a time when the universe just collapses and it won't matter like what what does it matter and to me i sort of stepped away with that like this biblical idea of like drink and be merry for today we die like there's no purpose in anything because if there's an end to something then what does it matter if it began and that's like really sad in fact the first time I watched this, I messaged you and I was like, you know, I didn't really I didn't like this movie because of that. And you responded saying, that's interesting. I feel like that the particular line of dialogue is there so that David Lowry can basically disprove it in the second part of the film. And so, yeah, I kind of wanted to I wanted to bring that up to bring it into here because I really want to hear you kind of extrapolate that. Because this second time watching, I enjoyed the movie more, but I'm still not sure i agree with that idea that it disproves that philosophical statement so so what do you think about that
1: it's it's funny you bring that up because i I actually don't remember having that conversation um but i well then that just about... ruins the well, section <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> but i i i mean i remember you saying you don't like that scene in the movie i and... liked
0: it more this time by the way i do yeah. think it it's it's this is one of those movies where like you may not like stuff the first time, and then you see it again, and you're like, either I can forgive it, or ah, you know, it's not that bad. So I just put that out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I should say I remember you saying that. I don't remember that I responded that way, which is so funny because, for starters, maybe ten minutes before we started recording, I was finishing up listening to a Q and A that Lowry did, and it was specifically about his own religious beliefs, and he talked about how he was raised very. He, Raised in Texas, so he was raised very religious, specifically Roman Catholic. And he sort of got into like his own religious views and how the movie reflects that. But he interestingly said that he doesn't agree with a lot of what that character says in the movie. He says I agree with most of it, I should say. However, he's missing a really big component, which is his thesis does not leave room for hope or wonder in the, in the world and and as it relates to like existence. And I he said I would really. I like to think that the rest of the movie just proves that and it shows that there is room for that. I and mean, he talks about the, how the way the movie ends and all the other things that happens in the movie. So I, I actually don't remember that, but I actually remember I was watching. It, I was like, Oh wow. Good. Cause that's everything. Like that's kind of how I like to think about it. So I'm glad yeah. uh, David Lowry uh, agrees with me in that regard. But I, yeah, I think that, you know, cause one thing, cause there's a, there's a symbolism of the piano in the house where there's just this piano that was there when they bought the house. And then, after uh, Rooney Mara leaves, um, the family moves in after them. Like the kids are playing the piano again. Um, there's this talk about music, and the character writes a song. That song is played throughout the film. I don't know if you knew this, but the guy, the composer of the film, who composed music for all of David Lowry's films, he wrote that song, the song that Casey Alpha character sings. He wrote that for his band. He has. That's right. And yeah, uh, Lowery was like, "I love this song, and could you base the soundtrack on this?" So he did. He took different pieces from that one song. And expanded them into full tracks for the whole soundtrack so you're such oh, a huge piece of that song yeah throughout the movie which ties into what they're talking about like oh maybe someday you know when aliens come and destroy the earth they might hear someone might faintly start humming beethoven's blah, blah blah but what's the point of that in light of all this and yeah i think that the film by its end sort of like embraces this idea that like things mean they, yeah they fade away but like that doesn't necessarily remove their impact that they have in the people around them because the character at the table has a very humanist idea, which is that really we should not think about how our actions affect eternity necessarily. But like, you know, maybe if Beethoven and all these other great composers didn't believe in God, they'd be writing songs for the people around them and be making music just to better the lives of them and running for them. And, you know, isn't that kind of what it's all about? And yeah, you know, and I think as a Christian, Our response to that is, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it's very easy to do that. But I don't think that's what the movie's really about at all, where it's about, I think it's kind of about letting go of this idea that like, unless I do something that's super duper permanent, then what's the point? And part of why I think that is there's this really sad scene where uh, Casey Affleck's ghost is talking to a ghost next door. Which, interestingly, they initially concede as a comedic relief moment. But then, as they sort of start writing the dialogue for the scene, they're like, this is actually really depressing. Where um, they dubbed the ghost the grandma ghost because she wears like a bed sheet that has like all these like floral patterns on it. And they're like, we, they, they kind of in their heads assumed it was a grandmother who had died in the house. And that's the sheet she died in. And so that's the sheet she's wearing. And she's waiting for someone to come back. And she doesn't even remember who, but she's just waiting for them to come back. That's I mean, that's kind of a basic ghost thing that we think, oh, like spirits are here because they're waiting to like, go oh, yada, yada, yada. Early, very early on in the film, we see a scene where Rooney Mara's character is leaving the house. So there's an early conversation where Casey Affleck's character, and this is a real conversation Lowry had had with his wife, because Lowry's a very sentimental person and hates moving. He doesn't like leaving things behind because he's very sentimental about the places that he was at, which very clearly informed his writing of this film. Part, I mean, part of his process of picking location was he's picking for, like houses that look like the houses he grew up in and things like that. And so, I mean, first off, early in the film, there's Rudy Morris talking about how when she leaves the place, she likes to like leave a note. Uh, just things she wants to remember, poems, song lyrics, that kind of thing. So she leaves a note and then she leaves. She's in the car and she's driving away. And as the camera sort of linger on her face, you see that she has kind of like this sense of like, OK, like, all right. Shaking off the dust, you know things have been tough, and you get a sense that she's she has leaving, she is leaving, and for the she more or less kind of exits the film a lot of ways from that point on. As we sort of shift focus to Casey Affleck's journey as a ghost, but then like it's cutting back to Casey Affleck's character who's still in this house, and he's just sort of there, and he's just trapped. And I mean, one another thing that people talk about the film is the way it's shot, where it's in this very specific aspect ratio it's like three three one or something like that yeah it's really tight but the whole movie feels like you're you're looking at a box and that was intentional as he felt like you know essentially Casey Affleck's character is trapped in a box he's trapped in this one location he's trapped in this house and so there's a clear difference between somebody who's sort of let go he's able to move on versus somebody like Casey Affleck's character who's just sort of lingering he's stuck and you know I like to think part of it is this idea of all these places that we live, all these places that we are, there are, you know, ghosts that haunt those places. There are memories, there's lives that have been there, there's people that have lived there. And, you know, those things are still there. They're in the makeup. They're in the design of the places that we live. And there, before we live there, there are people that have, in the house I'm in now, someone lived here before I lived here. And this might be a theme that hits harder with people who either, A, have lived in older houses like I have, or even some people who are fortunate enough to live in, the house that their grand their grandfather's grandfather's grandfather built the house's bare hands and they passed it down from generation right. to generation and that theme right. might hit harder with them but like just because like you can't make something that's 110 percent permanent like that doesn't mean that you haven't added something of value to the world and to the place and i think being able to like accept that is kind of part of what i think Lowry's trying to say but more to what he's talking about with the idea of like there's hope and magic i mean The very premise of the film, the idea that even though we Rudy Mara can't see Casey Affleck anymore, he's still there and he's still there to tangibly affect her life. I mean, it externalizes itself in sometimes he does like typical ghost things like he can knock something off a shelf. That's fine. Like, that's just that's just what ghosts do, I suppose, which I thought was a fun idea where like it is like if you imagine a movie like poltergeist but then imagine those ghosts in the movie poltergeist aren't actually vengeful spirits they are just sad because they miss <laughs> their families and that's why they're doing ghost things but yeah he's still there and he can affect it and even then the song that he wrote for Marie Mara's character she still finds value in it she still can listen to it and i don't know i think that's enough i don't think casey affleck needs to make songs that hundreds and thousands of years from now we can still listen to but I feel like yeah, I feel like a Christian reading like a lazy Christian reading would be like, well this movie's dumb because we know ghosts aren't real. We know that we go <laughs> yeah, to heaven. Yeah.
0: We know that that pseudo philosophy at drunken parties doesn't <laughs> matter. Uh it's it's the first the first set of um film criticism is realizing that uh everything that's on screen doesn't necessarily mean the director agrees with it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: In his own words, he's like, I'm not being prescriptive. I'm like necessarily, he's just putting a guy there to, to say some things. He might kind of like that guy who's the 30 year old guy who goes to high school parties and vapes still like whoever that guy is. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, like I, but I do think a Christian reading quote unquote, which I guess is what we're here to do is like, we know that like our actions do have weight, but the weight we, the weight that we place in them isn't like a human measurement of value where like you're only worth something. If you made a song that people are still singing hundreds of years from now, like your value is what you add to, I mean the kingdom of God, but like we know that all of our actions have weight in a like eternal sense. Like the way we treat people here and now right. affects like our witness for Christ, whether or not we spend our time, building the kingdom of God and sharing the gospel that has a weight. And you know, I like to think that if we do the things prescribed in the Bible, like, okay, care for widows and orphans, like take people in off the street, feed the hungry, like, you know, visit people in prison and clothe the colds and the sick. Like those are things that have an eternal value, even if nobody's talking about them yeah. <laughs> hundreds of years from now. Yeah. Like I, I like to think that the movie does a good job of like pointing out how kind of vain this, this idea is like, only if people remember me and think I did awesome things, (laughs) does my life have weight and value? Like, no, like that's not it at all. Like, and I don't think like Casey Affleck's journey in this film doesn't have weight just because like, there aren't people around to witness him be a ghost or whatever. Like, you know.
0: Yeah. A lot of what you're sharing made me think of uh, Colossians four, five through five and six. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There, There's two things I kind of get from that passage. It's It kind of emphasizes how important time is spent with people, but it also emphasizes the comfort in knowing that through wisdom, you can recognize how best to use that time. I feel like some people worry like that charge is more more hard than it sounds because of like wisdom being a keyword there. But I just think that's a cushion because uh, something I was thinking about is like when I, so this weekend Catherine and I went to my parents' house and it doesn't matter what age you are, but when your parents say you want to go get ice cream, you say you, you say yes, you always say yes because ice cream's awesome. So we went out and got ice cream and while we're there, this dude starts talking to us, which is cool. And I, I have no problem talking to strangers. I love it. Um, but we step outside to eat because we don't want to be inside because you have to take your mask off inside. And that seems to be the the glory of COVID. We could not go the whole episode without it mentioning that. <laughs> Oops. And uh, we're outside and the guy comes out and he starts talking to us. And we had a really great conversation. I asked him like questions about how he was doing. He was sharing about you know, how COVID's affected him. I asked him, like, how, how's your support system? Were you able to land well? Because he's not working. And he says, like, yeah, I'm really glad that my brother has a job that I was able to help him with, but it's really tough. And he started getting into political stuff, which never bothers me. I know other people don't know how to listen to people. And so they think when someone starts getting political, all they want to do is fight back. I'm not going to obviously share his name and none of you people listening know who he is, but he starts sharing things like, you know, he doesn't trust Trump and he doesn't trust uh, the Democrats either. He doesn't trust anybody to take care of him. He has no faith in the political system to take care of him. And why am I bringing that up? Well, I'm bringing it up because all of that's so important. Like me being able to just be a random stranger, listening to him patiently, ask him questions. Like I asked him like, how's your support system and how are you doing and how's your wife and stuff like that? I just met this guy. (laughs) And at this point we're practically best friends. Um, He tells us he's there at that, at that uh, dairy queen because there was like a car show going on and he likes to refit cars. And so he brought his car over and he actually thought we were part of that. And so he was learning about it. So now I'm learning more and more about him. And something I like to do when I meet strangers is kind of leave things like, obviously we talk political stuff. And so it was like kind of dour, and I wanted to make sure like when we leave, like he's able to feel like better about it. And so I asked, like, do you mind revving your car for us? Because he said it was really loud and it was I it was fantastic. This car was so loud, um, but I knew that really brought him a lot of joy. And all of that was like. Really important, at the very least, to me, <laughs> it was really important to me because I love hearing how people are doing, whether they're complete strangers or their best friends and I know that like even for my parents, it was something they were proud of. Like when we got in the car after, my parents were like, we're really, you know, we're proud of you and your comfortability to talk to people. And what is it? There's a proverb that's like the children are the are the pride of their <laughs> of the parents. Um, so that made me feel a little better. But um, all that to say is like that's such an innocuous and random moment. I don't know, it, it feels so powerful to me to be a part of it. And I actually praise the Lord for in- inviting me to have a conversation with him in that way. Um, I was praying that like now that I know his name, I can pray for him directly and praying that He, um, the Lord's able to provide a support system for him, ultimately invite him into the kingdom, of course. Yeah, so it's just, it's little moments like that that seem like they don't matter that I think this movie is emphasizing throughout by saying how much they do there's that scene in the beginning of the movie where they're like talking about wanting to stay home or not in this house or not, or move out or not. And like Casey's character is like, he wants to stay because of the history. And like, you kind of get these glimpses of the history and not all of it's like good. (laughs) Obviously he died right out front of the house. (laughs) And so like it's, but it, but it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't matter. So I don't know. I think like personal testimony, I think, this film does a good job of emphasizing that little moments are actually really, really big in the grand scheme of thing. But also you don't need to say in the grand scheme of things because they're just big and that's it. So
1: it was, um it was interesting to hear when Lowry was reflecting on his own religious upbringing, which is a very strict Roman Catholic from what sounds of it. He talks about how he specifically designed the movie and he admitted that undoubtedly because it's just part of like his upbringing and his DNA at this point he's sure that like the catholic theology of um, purgatory had probably had some sort of effect on the movie as he's like i would understand why some people would look at this as almost a reflection of the very idea of purgatory but he talks about how he specifically left the movie kind of he's in his own words he said he left the door open to sort of any sort of religious interpretations of the film because he a wanted it to be a movie that his parents could go see and enjoy but also he's like i have tons of friends who of all, of all kinds of faith, and so he didn't really want the movie to like go into any sort of specific religious kind of um territory necessarily. Which I think is part of what makes talking of the movie so interesting, as he's 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 using like a very common Americana trope. Which actually, I don't know if you talked about like why he even picked a <laughs> why this ghost. I'm sure some people are wondering. Did you wonder that, Melvin? Why this ghost?
0: why this ghost in particular as opposed to a different ghost or why the sheet as opposed why to Why the
1: sheet? Why the sheet?
0: Yeah, why the sheet.
1: So, first off it's actually not a sheet. Um if you put a bed sheet on He's like first off he said that there's no bed sheet big enough to cover like a grown man like KC Affleck. Oh like.
0: yeah, it's just a giant piece of cloth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, they actually she- it's actually a full costume. So, he's like it's like putting on several different sweaters and just a helmet you have to put on to make it look like that I and mean, Wearing that 110 degree Texas weather was apparently horrible, but in his own description, he said it. He's like, I always found that. First off, he said I think it is kind of funny. Like he's like, I don't mind if people say they saw the movie parts that made them laugh because it's. An, he's like, it's inherently funny visual to see like that ghost standing, just like standing like expressionless next to some of the things in the movie that happened. He's like, that's an inherently funny thing. That's fine, but he's like, there's something very sad and lonely about the figure. And so it's just like the idea of that classic ghost is standing in these situations and being kind of alone sort of intrigued him
0: formless there's nothing to define the, the individual it could just be anybody else yeah it might not actually be casey affleck under there you
1: might it actually
0: <laughs> is believe it or not yeah it is yeah
1: <laughs> except for the scenes where casey affleck has to also like be in the scene in some way yeah, apparently yeah well that would be kind of amazing also apparently he had actual like street like magicians like professional magicians on set like like to help do some of the practical effects in the movie. That's great. Because they wanted to look normal, which is cool. But he's like, when you look at that, you think that's a ghost. We also don't think that's a ghost. Like, you understand that's supposed to be a ghost, but you don't react to it like you'd react to a ghost. So he said right. getting to write a ghost story with his character is very intriguing to him, but he loved the sense of nostalgia it brings, where that's a classic looking ghost. And that's part of why he shot the film and the aspect ratio it did. Like, that's how older movies were shot. And so per- the sense of nostalgia kind of permeates the entire film. And that ties into the idea of like this, this film is like this look at our past in so many ways where you have, you looking at a house and the people that used to live there, you're looking at this old form of storytelling, this like classic filmmaking, this older ghost that could be it's, we know who it is in the context of film, but there certainly are ghosts like this everywhere. And it evokes this like feeling of your childhood. And the film is in a lot of ways kind of almost like a, Journey to sort of watch that thing, you know. I mean, and this will literally die, <laughs> but also like, yeah, to let those things kind of like fade away, I think is such a, I don't know, it's a really good example of using the medium to tell a very unique story unto itself. Like, I don't think this would work as a video game or <laughs> an ARG <laughs> or, or something. Like, this is a very visual experience, and it's part of why I so wholeheartedly endorse it.
0: Can we get into interpretation? Yeah, absolutely. What is your interpretation, Daniel?
1: (laughs) Oh, well, before I get into that, I want to... The last time I shared my interpretation of this film with somebody was in a Facebook group. I'm actually not sure which one it is. It might have been... It it was in some movie group. I can't remember what it is. But I was talking to somebody. They're a Christian. And I don't know if... I don't want to paint with too broad strokes here. But I do think sometimes christians and religious people in general people who have a set philosophy that they see the world in and a set belief system that they very firmly hold on to like to try and get very exact interpretations about things and like to because they see a world a very specific way like you know god created the world this is the bible is the inspired word of god like all that stuff is set in place like they're you know dogmas essentially and that's not bad. Like I am a very religious person. I'm I specifically am a you know reformed Christian. I have very specific beliefs on things. I'm totally fine with that. But like they that, that way of looking at things tends to permeate everything. And sometimes I've noticed, I'm just saying it's up. that's happened all the time. And so I was talking to this person about the movie and we were talking about it. And I was like giving my thoughts in the film. And I was like, you know, it really feels like this like meditation on, time and just sort of you're watching as time passes and you're looking at the things that we leave behind and the value of the things you leave behind but also like you know letting go and moving on and like sort of asking the question of what value is life if you know things fade away and and the person was very adamantly against that they were just like you can't prove that <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what what do you mean i can't prove it He's like well show me that show me where it says that in the film i was like well first off there is this like 10 minute monologue in the middle of the movie where a guy talks about almost these (laughs) six specifically but also like it's okay if you don't think that like this movie is open to interpretation like you can watch the movie and take a lot of things away from it and he was like yeah but you can't prove that like yeah there's there's so much and it's purposefully open-ended in so many ways and i think the more I think about it, the more I've watched the and upon repeat viewings of the film. Like it feels like almost it is less about coming to almost a set understanding of something and more about getting you to feel certain emotions and, and sort of explore these areas of your own feelings on these things. Yeah. About death, about time, about life, about relationships and alienation and loneliness. But I was talking to this person and they've really, they were like, no, you cannot prove without a shadow of a doubt that this is the theme of the movie. That this is what the movie is about. And I kept literally just being like, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's fine. But I just really I feel this way because of these reasons. But it's okay if you don't agree with me. And it was just such a bizarre. Like this movie needs to say what it means and it needs to exactly mean these things. And I want it to show me. I want to prove to me that the movie means these things that you're saying it says. This was an often Facebook conversation I had. Th- around three years ago now and i think about it almost every day to some <laughs> extent whenever i see anyone talking about movies i just imagine this guy just jumping in and be like yeah but can you prove that like just grabbing <laughs> them by the shoulders and shaking them like this color is blue but <laughs> how
0: <laughs> can yeah. you prove it
1: <laughs> and uh but it's good to see that ben shapiro has since gone on to have a very successful career and I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joshing yeah Um what, why are you calling him <laughs> out <laughs> Don't you His know that a ghost story is specifically about time?
0: Yeah. yeah. Or what? How would he say it though? He'd be. I don't know. <laughs> David Lowry, I... Um, he, you know, he wrote this movie and he did it in 30 days. I don't hate. <laughs> like, I have no opinions on Ben. I
1: feel like the only person in the world who has no opinions of Ben Shapiro. I feel like people either hate I mean, him or love him. I just, I just. I just know him from the memes at this point. I don't. I don't think I've ever listened to anything he's ever said. So.
0: From the memes and Cardi B at this like to this week, I guess so. <laughs>
1: But anywho, uh who would have thought know.
0: Cardi B would make it into this episode?
1: Yeah. Uh, no, but yeah. I mean, like it, the 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 one way we're always definitively say disagree like with <laughs> Shapiro, I suppose, which is a <laughs> sentence to to end all sense episode is just this rigidness of like this movie needs to work in a very specific like it needs to hit adhere to these very specific requirements and and work on this very specific logic for me to accept it. And I think this is a movie that you just really need to sit back and just let it go you need to like 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 open your heart to it and just be like okay like this is what the ghosts look like there's not gonna be a lot of dialogue this is it and you just have to accept that and you have to be there for the ride they're putting on but and so in terms of like how do i interpret the film like you know like well, I said, how uh, did he how did he interpret the film he didn't like it. He oh, just, so he, he didn't
0: have any like he didn't have like I didn't like just, it because it was about something else. He, he, he just thought a I bunch didn't of like mumbo it. jumbo.
1: Yeah, he was just like, this movie doesn't make any sense. Like I didn't get it. Like blah blah. blah. And well, because prove that, that it doesn't bad. make any sense. Well, <laughs> well yeah, prove that, that you don't like. like it. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I was getting. It was just like, okay, it's fine, but like, just because you had this subjective experience watching the film doesn't mean that it doesn't mean something else to somebody else and so i mean like i'm sure that like now that i'm sitting here being like hey man the movie's whatever you want it to be blah blah that if i ever at any point make another point about a movie not making any sense someone's like well you said in this one review but like different movies are working in different logic like if a movie is presenting itself to have a very straightforward story and it's making a very specific point I think a movie can fail to make those points. I think it failed to convey what it's trying to convey. The difference here is this is a movie that is purposefully like trying not to get too specific about certain things. It's trying not to like make any strong statements one way or the other about certain things. It's like the whole part of the purpose of the pie-eating scene from what I gathered from the various interviews of Lowry that I've seen is he's he wants to make you uncomfortable. And he said, the joke has kind of been it's almost like this like test they have to pass to watch the rest of the movie where if you're just not in it for that, then it's not for you, you know? And that's okay. And so the movie is not trying to make a specific singular statement about life and death, about whatever. And that's okay for this. It's a different thing if like, I don't know, if like the Shawshank Redemption like halfway through just had a big musical number and suddenly they went to space and then they, then they're like, didn't we say some neat <laughs> stuff? You know, like that would be actually never that movie sounds awesome, but like I'm sure awesome. a better uh it'd be weird. Like if the passion of the Christ, if Jesus <laughs> talking about aliens at the end and they're like, didn't we do a great job of respecting the the biblical story right. of Jesus? Like you can fail at a particular mission, and then that's where I start docking your points. You know, we docked or a movie is supposed to be an action movie and it's boring. You know, there's a, every movie has different metrics that you
0: judge it by. And so yeah, when like it comes we docked points. I personally docked points on like something like think if you can think all the way back to February 2020 <laughs> when we had Birds of Prey uh guest appearance on the podcast and by guest I mean we just talked about it. I didn't <laughs> like it cuz it was rated R. I was like I think it should have been PG-13. I don't think it succeeded in being a fun rated R film, I think it was too shocking. And then you're over here like, I thought it was great. <laughs> and it's like, that's fine. They're, they're, I, I'm i not going to prove, have you proved to me why you liked something? Like, I, how can I prove to somebody the, about the food I like? When I put it in yeah. my mouth, it, it uh, endorphins trigger in my brain. <laughs> that's about as specific as I can get. I can't really like get into it. Like, I, I think, It makes me think a lot about like uh, just film reviews in general when it comes to like print reviews because they get so flowery and they get so specific. In fact, I I roll my eyes the most when reading like uh, music reviews because that's when I think they try the hardest to make sure that they're sounding as poetic as the thing that they're listening to. Um, When at the end of the day, like it really is just like, yeah, I, I like it. I don't like that. <laughs> well, why? And um, that's when you can start to get into specifics. But yeah, I, th- yeah. I, I I think I think you're right though. I think this movie, apart from what David Lowry already says that he wants to leave it for interpretation, I think he succeeds in making it an interpretive experience because I, I can't I can't imagine it being open ended and having more lines. In fact, most movies fall into the trap of wanting to be open ended, but then have just some of the most blatant dialogue in the world <laughs> and you're you're listening to a director be like yeah i really wanted to get the the uh, individual thinking about specific things and really meditate on this and i wanted them to like you know not take everything at face value meanwhile they'll have like a character that just says like something so black and white it's like um uh <laughs> and, and uh revenge of the sith with um obi-wan and anakin and uh what is it um you were supposed to jo- join a, no, what is it?
1: Uh, from He's my perspective, Brown, balance the force, not destroy it.
0: Right. Well, there's that, but then also um, he has the line that's um, uh, from my perspective, the Jedi are evil. And it's yeah. just like, you didn't, you didn't have to tell me that. <laughs> I knew that that's what you felt. <laughs>
1: yeah. George, George Lucas is a lot of things, but subtle is not one of them.
0: No, no. So yeah, I think, I think that's spot on.
1: Well, I mean, for, I think just to kind of wrap it up, it, it, my my thing I always resort back to is I don't care what your opinion is. I just really want to see how you get there. And I think for a movie like this, it's inviting you to think about it. And it's inviting you. The word that's used in every review and in every interview I've read is meditate. They want, the movie wants you to, to meditate. And I think that can be a little like, kind of preachy, kind of flowery. like- Flowery. Yeah, like, I don't, you do not that's just another way of, way of saying, the movie wants you to sit there and think about the movie while you're watching it. But yeah, I think that there are certain movies that are asking you to experience them a certain way. I don't think it's bad. And I think when people say like, oh, you just didn't get the movie, I think a less elitist way of saying it would be like, you know, there is a certain way that the movie is inviting you to experience it. And I think that in a way you kind of like if you're going to sit there and watch a movie, the least you could do is sit there and just be like, "Okay, like this is the movie's asking me to, you know do this. It's asking me to like go with his pace and think about the slowness of what it's doing, or the movie's asking me to confront some difficult questions or issues, or the movie's asking me just to sit back and not think too hard and have a good time. And none of those are bad or better than the other. That's just the different types of film. And that's a different art asks you to interpret it different ways. You know, like the way I would stare at like, in Norma Rockwell, like 50s Americana painting and the way to enjoy that painting is the same way I look at like cubism or something, you know? Right. And so I just think that's just part of the package of interpretation. And so like, I think sometimes people get upset at critics or even people like us when we sit there and like their initial reaction is ghost story is boring. And then when we sit there and go, oh, it's saying all these nice, deep things. I'm not calling you stupid. And I don't think most critics are calling you stupid. I just think that for some people, they just didn't do that they just were you know the, i read an amazing article after this movie came out or a couple went to see, see a ghost story and they loved it the um the wife cried at the end of the film but everyone in the audience was laughing and mocking the film they were just like jeering it and like the guy was talking about this horrible experience he had seeing the movie and just and it's part of why i've always want to talk about this movie a little bit is it's so interesting to me that i can sit there and have this wonderful experience watching the movie you can sit there and you can get like brought to tears alone in your home watching this. And there's other people that <laughs> yeah. were mocking it and laughing at it and like could not believe that people were watching it. And it's just, sometimes you just have to get on that wavelength and the divide between the people who enjoy something and people who don't, isn't a intelligence divide necessarily. I'm not saying it doesn't happen here and there, but <laughs> like, it's just, I'm, I'm certain, I'm sure it does, but like there, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I just think people need to be more willing to sit there and be like, okay, like what type of movie is this? Like, Like how should how should I engage with this and how should I experience it, and it's it it can be a little difficult. And for some people, they will never make that jump because for them, movies are some for some people, movies are just just entertainment. That's all they want from it. Or movies are distraction, and they don't want something to think too hard about. Or they like a particular type of movie, and that's fine. I'm sure everyone here has been going through Netflix or Hulu, and the minute they see someone in historical garb, they're like, nope, not for me. Or the minute they see like based on a true story, they see it's a romance film, they're like, that's not for me, and that's okay. Because you don't want to engage with those movies the, the way they're asking you to, you know? That's okay.
0: So, which A24 film had worse marketing or less successful marketing? A ghost story or It Comes at Night?
1: Oh, It Comes at Night, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> A ghost story was at least promising a type of experience that the movie provided. It comes at night was
0: basically a different film, it's still a completely different movie. Uh, we'll we'll cover that movie someday because I I think I'm turning into a Trey Edward a Trey Edward Schultz stan. I
1: like I like that movie. Not to spoil it, but I really like that movie. I just think it was murdered by marketing.
0: Well, when when my friend and I went to go see it, we caught it and we left, and he's like, he go, he looks at me, and he goes, I mean i mean i didn't i didn't need a monster but like <laughs> i think i wanted one <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly yeah, that's, that's that's the problem with that one's marketing we'll cover it someday because yeah. everyone's heard everyone and their mother knows that i really like waves so we're gonna have to do, do trey Edward Schultz movie sometime but <laughs> it's
1: do you do you remember the trailers for a bridge to teravithia
0: Oh, and that that got me. And I was yeah. only like twelve or fourteen. Well, I don't know. Or it's
1: promising like a Lord of the Rings Chronicles of Narnia type adventure with monsters, and then it's not that at all. It's not so. that
0: at all. And then it's only like the last <laughs> literal last minute that shows the trailer. <laughs> oh man. We'll get to that one too. I think Catherine oh, will probably to yeah, that.
1: We're gonna cover that hot film everyone's talking about, the Bridget <laughs> Terabithia movie from like two thousand. That's that been... got
0: a, It's got a cult following. I think at last I heard, people really like the adaptation of that. They said it's a good adaption. I don't know, though. So, Melvin, what did you think of A Ghost Story? Yeah, I love it. I think everyone should check it out. It's 90 minutes. It's <laughs> yeah. very easy to watch.
1: It's not even 90
0: minutes. It's
1: like it's 90 92. minutes credits.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. The credits are pretty long and slow. And they overlay with kids playing and wind blowing. So it really yeah. hits you. Or make you laugh because you're like frat boys going out on a Friday night. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I highly recommend this movie. I think it's great. I think it's really interesting and uh, contemplative in a way that's, as the director intended, very inclusive. And I I think Christian viewers, I think it's a good thinker. I think it'll really... I think part of the value of seeing any movie that presents a philosophy that may not necessarily align with yours is it makes you think more deeply about the one that you do hold to. I think for Christians it can be a very valuable experience to, you know, think about I mean death, obviously. And why we um don't fear death necessarily, but also just think about your legacy, what you leave behind, and the things that maybe you need to let go of, and just about the enormity of time itself. And I if that doesn't make you a little born awe of the God we serve, then I don't know, man.
0: But that's just my feeling. Then I, I guess you're just not <laughs> okay, a Christian. And, and I'm gonna end with waving
1: my <laughs> finger at the audience. <laughs>
0: Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen A Ghost Story, what did you think of it? Were you deeply moved by this film, or is the whole sheet ghost thing a bit too absurd for you? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let us know in the comments below, or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review for the podcast in your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or a thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. You also gain access to The Pre-Show, a Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who supported the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, and Melanie. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. All this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.